0: It wouldn't be his words, but it would be yours, Lord. And I pray for each and every single one of us tonight that we would, our hearts would be open to him, Lord, as you minister through him, Lord Jesus. That there would be no walls in place, Father, that you would come and tear down those walls right now, Jesus. Pray that, Holy Spirit, you would lead him as he shares and uh, we would respond to you. Not to him, we would respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Hey, everyone. It's uh, absolutely lovely to be here. Um, I must say, in just a short time, I kind of feel like a little bit of, of you is inside my heart already. Um, and it's lovely to have met a few of you already. You know what's just amazing truth? I was praying just now with Colin, and um, we were praying, just the two of us never met him before. Um, the first question I asked him is, uh, just want to check, Colin, are you a Christian? <laughs> and he asked me the same question. And then we're away, you know. We both confess Jesus as Lord, and we can pray. Now, isn't that amazing? Even though um, I don't know most of you, um, we are together. We are one. We serve the same Lord. Um, so thank you for your um, a, a very warm welcome. Um, I'm really excited to see where God takes us um, here today. I must just confess to you that um, I found the preparation for the sermon um, a bit of a toil um, which is good, because it means God wanted me to, to battle through something, and I really trust and pray that God actually has got something um, that he wants to leave with you tonight. Um, I just also have another confession to make. Um, I'm trying something new. Michelle's given me a her Fitbit here to keep time. Now, I just I have no idea whether it's counting my steps or the time, so, <laughs> so we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, this evening, I want to look at one simple verse. That is a simple verse. It's only one verse. And it's James 3.18. Now, young young Caleb here is all sorted out. He's got the verse there for us. And um, we're going to spend some time in in this verse. Sounds hard to believe we're going to have a sermon on one verse. Um, But there's quite a lot that I think God wants to show us today. Now, I think God's going to speak to you during the week with this verse... And so I'm quite keen that you actually maybe even think about learning this verse. So why don't you read it together? I'm just checking my translation is the same. Yeah. James 3.18. Let's say it together. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's say that once once more. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So now, let's try and remember that verse, because I'm, I'm really praying that God's going to do something in your heart um, this week as we look at this verse. Now, before we jump into this verse, um, maybe just to give an outline of the plan. So what I really want to share with you tonight is how we are called to be peacemakers. That's the theme. That's where we're going. But we can't just look at that in isolation. We have to understand what peace is about, the peace that God gives us. And so we're going to spend some time looking at that. And then we're going to look at this harvest of righteousness. And all three of these things are related. Before we jump into that, a little bit of a personal story. My family comes from the Eastern Cape. Does anyone else here come from the Eastern Cape? Okay, quite a, quite a few of you. When I say the Eastern Cape, I mean the North Eastern Cape, the Wild Coast. That's where my family roots are. And a little interesting story. My grandfather, he's was the mayor of Tata, real story. And his cousin, or his uncle, um, has a very interesting story, which is very relevant to what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, His name was William, and uh, he was a magistrate in the Wild Coast. This was in the late 1800s. Um, This was during the colonial period. He worked amongst the Pondu tribe. He spoke the language there. He was very much integrated with the life of the locals. And, of course, this was during the time of the colonialism and... um, The Pondos weren't too happy with the British, and so they decided they were going to take on the British kingdom, which uh, is quite a brave thing to do. And so this this man, William, he foresaw the consequences of what was going to happen if this tribe um, started taking on the might of the British army. And he took it upon himself to negotiate a peace agreement. He would talk to the British, and he would come back, and he would negotiate some kind of compromise, um, and help the British and the Pondu uh, tribe actually live together. It's a, it's a real part of history. And his name is called the Peacemaker, William the Peacemaker. So that's what I've got in my family line. And a very interesting thing as part of the history, he actually had a little walking stick, which um, I've got uh, one of my lost cousins somewhere in the Eastern Cape has got this walking stick still. It's got a little secret compartment. And in this compartment, whatever was agreed between the British and the ponders or what was proposed was written down there, put inside this little compartment in the walking stick and off he would go. And he would negotiate. And I just thought this is such an interesting story because we are called to be peacemakers. We are the ones who are called to help others come to peace with God. Um, And God has given us this mission to do. And we're going to be looking at that tonight. All right, so let's, let's get going with James 3.18. I've already explained to you, we're going to be looking at three things. The concept of peace, um, then what does it mean for us to be a peacemaker, and then, and then finally, the result of this work of peacemaking, uh, which is the harvest of righteousness. And so let's start off then with asking ourselves this question about peace, and, and what uh, do we mean by peace? Now, I don't know, I don't know about you, but... I've noticed that the topic of peace is a subject that is of interest to anyone. This is not a Christian church subject. You know, if we want to talk to the world about worshipping God or obedience to God or, I don't know, justification, everyone turns off. But if you want to talk about peace, well, now there's a topic that people are interested in. Um, world leaders are interested in this topic of peace. You know, that's what they're meaning to talk about. Uh, but not only on a global stage. Families are interested in the topic of peace. Anyone who's got family squabbles or marital disputes, peace is an important topic. Um, and at an individual level, level this is now really now reaching home because so many people are lacking peace. People are troubled. They've lost their peace. Um, and it seems like so many people are dealing with the question of anxiety. And, and so peace is a topic which is globally of interest. And this is not new. This has always been the case. For as long as mankind has been living in its fallen state, which is like just about forever, the question of peace um, has always been and is always going to be a troubling thing. Now, the the interesting thing is that the world leaders haven't been able to figure this thing out. You know, we try, man tries all kinds of things to deal with the problem of peace. One is to take the tablet or anything that's going to distract us so we don't have to deal with the crisis that we're facing, Um, or we can maybe just fill up our worlds with all kind of comfort, uh, things that help alleviate the pain, or perhaps what some people do is um, they live in a pretend world where they think they've got peace. And I come from a different area. Some of you will know the Beatles. Does anyone here know the Beatles? Um, John Lennon, he wrote the peace anthem for the world. I don't know if you know the song. It's called um, Imagine. And um, I'm not going to attempt to sing a song, and it's not a good song, um, but it has these words. It says, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no religion, nothing to live or die for. Imagine all the people living in peace. Well, we can imagine it, but that's not going to happen. Not without the Lord Jesus, who's come to bring us peace. So the world is trying to imagine all kinds of crazy things to live with peace but that's not going to solve the problem. And so us humans, we've got this hunger for peace that God has put deep inside our soul, and it's not going to go away. It's a wonderful thing that he's given us this hunger because it what brings us to him. Well, <clears throat> I perhaps now want to just turn this a little bit and think about this problem from God's perspective. Where is this problem of peace? Why do we, why do we have such a problem with this Topic in the world forever, as far as we've known. Well, of course, we're all very well schooled in the Bible. So why do we have not at peace? Well, we know the answer. Romans 3:23, we've all sinned. We sh- fall short of God's glory, and we don't meet up to God's standards. And that is absolutely true. I want to maybe add something else tonight, which is perhaps um, a little bit more of a, of a somber note. Um, And and that is absolutely true. But to add to that, why we lack peace is because primarily this world is at war with God. The world is rebelling against God. And um, as long as the world is rebelling against God, just like the ponders were trying to rebel against the British army, the world is in serious trouble. And I think God has planted something in us which warns us. It's this alarm bell something is coming down the line we'd better make peace with god otherwise we're going to be in trouble now humans have a long track record of rebelling against god let's just consider some of the ways that humans have rebelled against god we reject his his blueprint for order and authority in our lives we've rejected his blueprint for families how relevant is that today the roles of husbands and wives of children being obedient to their parents i haven't read the new marriage yet but I am shocked to discover it doesn't mention male and female and husband and wives. Can you imagine a marriage in which those terms are not even mentioned? It's absolutely insulting to God who invented the idea of marriage. We've neglected his instructions for looking after the earth, and instead we raped and planted this earth and its resources, and we've failed to keep to the boundaries that God has given us in marriage in being male and female, uh, in the beauty of sex, we haven't kept to our boundaries. And do you not see that we placed ourselves now as enemies of God? Isn't that a frightening place to be? And it really is demonic. There's no human explanation for this. Fundamentally, this is a demonic-inspired thing of Satan wanting us to rebel and turn our back against God And this is what the the Bible says about the world being God's enemy. James 4 verse 4. Have we got that? There we go. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy to God. This is a frightening prospect that we can actually be God's enemy. Who would want to be God's enemy? And then Philippians 3, verse 18 says, For as I have often told you before, and I tell you again, even with many tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. That's a frightening thing to contemplate, to be an enemy of God. Well, what do you think God's going to do about that, about those who are his enemies? Well, we've we've got a small foretaste of this. If we just look at the history of, of what's unfolded as we read through the Bible. Consider the flood, all of those who rebelled against God. They were gone, destroyed. Only a few were saved. Consider Sodom and Gomorrah, again, all of them destroyed. Um, And only a few remnants were were, uh, saved. Uh, Consider those who rebelled um, against God's instructions, the rebellion of Korah. The earth opened up and swallowed them all. That must have been a terrible sight to see. Um, whole families disappearing into the ground. Frightening. Um, consider also the fallen angels um, who the Bible in the, uh, who the book of Jude says um, left there the boundaries of, of the dominion that God had assigned to them. And they've already been locked away in the abyss. Enemies of God. This is what happens to enemies of God. It's a frightful, frightful thing to be an enemy of God. Does anyone know what the most frequently quoted verse from the Old Testament is in the New Testament. I know it's a hard question. It's not Psalm 23. It's not Jeremiah. I know the plans for you. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's not. This is what it says. Psalm 110 verse 1 is the verse that is most quoted in the New Testament. And this is what it says. Speaking of Jesus, sit sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is what Jesus is going to do with his enemies. It is frightening. It is frightening. This is the verse that is most quoted from the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so the devil and all his followers are the enemy of God. But so is everyone in the world who rejects God and follows the devil instead. And God says to Jesus, I will invest you with power and authority to sit on the throne until all enemies are put under your feet. It's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you know what the fear of the Lord is? I have a profound explanation for you. It is the fear of the Lord. (laughs) This is what Jeremiah tells the exiles in Babylon. Babylon is a symbol of the world. This is what Jeremiah tells those who had already gone into exile because um, disaster was coming to Babylon. Jeremiah 51, verse 45, it says, Come out of her, my people. Run for your lives. Run from the fierce anger of the Lord. We do not want to be God's enemies. It's no wonder man has a lack of peace. It's like the world is going for a casual canoe paddle, just above the Victoria Falls, singing comforting songs to one another, neighbors offering each other pills for their anxiety disorders because they can hear the sound in the distance they can't quite understand. We can thank God. (laughs) Do you want me to say it again? (laughs) Let me say it again. It's like the world is going for a casual canoe trip just above the Victoria Falls, singing comforting songs to one another while neighbors hand out pills for the anxiety disorder to drown out the strange rumbling sound they can hear in the distance. This world is God's enemy, my friend. We don't see God in this way. We think of our neighbors who are living good lives, and we think, oh, they're good. They're okay. No, they're God's enemies if they're not for him. If they're rebelling against him, they're God's enemies. And there's only one path to escape what's coming. We must make peace with God. We must make peace with God. There's no other way. We must make peace with him and accept his wildly generous terms for peace. And they are wildly generous They are outrageously generous and kind. We must accept them. And we must go further. We must separate ourselves from the enemy camp. Now, I don't mean we leave the world because that can't happen, as the Bible says. But we have to say goodbye to the ways of the world and separate ourselves from it because it's the way of the world and its influence that will drag us over those Victoria fools. And we need the community of God's holy people to help us. We cannot do this on our own. So this is the bad news. This is the bad news. Sorry, guys. It's a bit somber. But there is good news. As you well know, the good news is that as much as man is concerned about peace, the good news is God is concerned more than we are about peace. Isn't that an amazing thing? it really is. And I want to spend some time on this. I know I'm building some foundations here. But if we want to be a peacemaker, we really have to understand the trouble the world is in and the incredible rescue plan that God has put together for us. And so God's desire is for peace with man. He really, he absolutely desires it. And I want to just share with you four, four reasons for that. The first is that God calls himself the God of peace. Do you know that there are many names for God? Come on, tell me some of your favorite names. Jehovah what? What are your favorite ones? Jehovah Rapha. What does that mean, Ross? <laughs> Sorry, God, my healer, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. There's one more name, Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. And we can read about this. This name was announced to Gideon when he was trembling, fearing for his life from the Midianites who were stealing their lunch, literally. And he was trembling and hiding away. And God comes to him and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Doesn't look like a mighty man of valor. He speaks to him what he's not and brings courage and comfort. And he says to him in Judges 6, verse 23, this is the angel of the Lord, Peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. Good news. Got that one out the way. And because of that, Gideon builds this altar. And he builds this memorial to the Lord. And the name of this is to remember Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. The first reason why we can trust God about this matter of peace is God is a God of peace. It's in his his DNA, if that's possible. It's in his nature. There's a second reason why we can trust this God who uh, brings us peace, is that he's made a firm and unshakable promise to us of peace. Isaiah 54, verse 10 says this: Though the mountains be shaken, and the heels be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Now, if ever there was good news, is that not good news? The symbol of the mountains being shaken is kingdoms coming to an end, our heels being removed. And this is literally what happened in those days. The nations would be destroyed. Cities would be leveled to the ground. Jerusalem has experienced this. And so regardless of these things happen, here is God's unshakable promise. A covenant in God's language is a solemn thing. If God makes a covenant, He cannot revoke it. He will not revoke it, because to do so would be lying against himself. And if God does that, he's not God anymore. So God makes this unshakable promise. You will not He says, "Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace." be removed. Isn't that amazing? God will not take it away from us. That's his promise. And then the third reason, God has appointed the best possible person to make peace. I don't know. Who do you think that is? Any ideas? It's not my great uncle the peacemaker. <laughs> there, there is no one better, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. This is what Isaiah 9 verse 6 says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, there's a, there's a wonderful thing. There's so many things we can contemplate. Prince of Peace. This brings together more than one thing. It's not just that we're sitting at Jesus' feet and we're feeling, oh, this feels good. He's the Prince, he comes with power. He comes with authority. He can establish peace where there isn't and bring peace. So this brings both order and peace to us and and to the kingdom that he's establishing. So the prince of peace. um, This is the one who's been sent to establish this plan for us. And we don't have time to look at it now. We're going to skip out a few verses. But Jesus' entire life was punctuated by this message of peace. And if I can just highlight some of these things. Can you remember... Um, When he was born, a whole host of angels had to declare the message. It's the only time in the Bible you read the message being so important it couldn't be entrusted to one angel. There's, There's many angels. Sometimes there are a few that are sent. Here we've got a host of angels. And the message they give, Luke 2, 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom he favors rests. This is such an important message he sends A host of angels couldn't trust one person, couldn't trust one angel. A host of angels comes down. And so we have good news. The Prince of Peace is the one that he's entrusted this plan to. And then the last reason um, that we can be so grateful for is that God was willing to pay the highest, the highest imaginable price for making this peace plan possible it is beyond our comprehension to think that god would send his only son his dearest son who was with him forever for eternity he would send that son as the price to give us peace and we've we've sung about that already a little bit in our worship time this is just we this is beyond beyond our comprehension beyond the comprehension of the world and um Maybe something just worthwhile for us just to pause on is just to think about the time when Jesus was resurrected and he's met his disciples. and That just brings together the wonder of this. If we look at John 20, uh, verse 26 to 27, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, who, of course, had previously doubted. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, in, in this one scene, we, we see just the miracle of how Jesus is qualified to give peace because he's got the mark in his hands. He's got the si- mark on his side. No one else is qualified to do that. He is qualified to bring us peace. And so this is, this is just absolutely astounding astounding good news for people paddling around above Victoria (laughs) Falls because this is what Jesus brings to us. His whole ministry on earth is punctuated by peace and this is what he's doing right now. Even this last week, bringing people to his kingdom through peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, he is our peace. That's how profound this message of peace is. And so, Let's come back to now um, James three eighteen, and uh, we want to move on now from the topic of peace. But what's really interesting about this verse? Okay, let's say it together again one two three, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, let's quickly take that off now and see. Okay, come on, let's just let's just take that off. Okay, come on, who can say that first? Come on, someone someone can. Come on, no looking, no cheating, no Oscar a friend. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. <laughs> there you <we> go. <laughs> I learned that trick from Michelle. <laughs> okay. Peacemakers who sow in peace um, reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's get that, that verse back up there again. Now, I want to move on now to the topic of peacemaking. And, and consider this topic. But I just wanted to point out there's an amazing flow in this verse because um, firstly we have peace and and Jesus has invited us in and offered us this peace which we experience at a deeply personal level. It's not just a peace treaty we've signed with some foreign dignity somewhere. It's deeply personal. Jesus brings us peace. Then we have peacemakers and this is what my message to you today is you're called to be peacemakers. And then finally, there's a result of this peacemaking, which is the harvest of righteousness, which is an incredible, beautiful thing that God wants to do through us, is to bring this harvest of righteousness. So that's that's where we're going, and um, I'm just counting my steps Yeah, So far, so good. Okay, right. So let's consider now this topic of um, peacemaking. And I just want to I suppose at this point, just really emphasize, I, I must say, I have a real real burden that God wants to birth something in this congregation, um, in the area of peacemaking, in, uh, in what that could mean for this congregation, as each of you consider your neighbors who are enemies of God, family members who are enemies of God, and how he's calling you to be... Um, peacemakers. And so there's a few things I want to mention to you just to help you orient yourself about being a peacemaker. The first thing is, this is not just a calling, it's who you are. Did you know that you who are children of God are peacemakers? That's your name. Well, you don't believe me? Matthew 5 verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Our identity is if we are children of God, is to be peacemakers. The two of them go together. Now, what's quite remarkable about this verse is we think of God, who is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. He says he makes us in his image. The Prince of Peace is the perfect image of the Father. And now he's offering the same to us. He says, you're going to be in my image too. You're going to be my child. If we're the child." Of Jehovah Shalom, what does that look like? Well, we're also peacemakers. It's an an amazing thing. It's our identity, not just our responsibility. So we carry this peace with us, and um, we're called to share this with the world. But there's something else here, which is a forward-looking thing. It doesn't just, it doesn't actually say, you are children of God. Although we are, It's a forward-looking thing. As we embrace this identity of us being peacemakers, it says we will be called the children of God. It's something, in a way, we will become, even though we are God's children. It's a bit strange, but there's a forward-looking thing. And um, Romans 8, um, verse 19, says this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now, there's a mysterious verse. And theologians will talk about this one forever. So we, we, won't, we won't go there, but there's a mystery here. There's a, there's a mystery that the whole of creation is waiting for you guys to stand up and be peacemakers. The whole of creation is waiting for you to, be, to reveal your identity as the children of God. And so now here's a kind of wake-up moment, church. We have to rise. We have to stand up. Be who we are called to be, which is peacemakers. Creation is waiting for it. The world is dying for it, literally dying for it. That's something to weep about. The world is dying because God's children haven't stood up yet to be the peacemakers we're called to be. <clears throat> Creation is holding its breath. Some people are holding their breath and they've run out, they've run out of time. There's a second thing peacemaking is not only our identity, it's also our calling. Calling is a bit different to identity. Calling is what we call to do. Identity is who we are. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Let's read that. A few verses there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You've been appointed. As ministers of reconciliation, I know how that sounds important. Minister of reconciliation. You can wear that badge. That's who you are. are Every one of you are ministers of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so this is an amazing thought that, that we, this is Paul speaking, and obviously he was, he was sharing the gospel here with the Corinthian church, but this is true for us today, that we are called to be God's ambassadors. Just like my, my great-great-uncle, who was an ambassador to this tribe to bring about peace, God has sent us into the world to be his ambassadors because he loves the world. And so God takes the initiative to reconcile the world t- to himself. And in fact, Jesus says the Father is always busy. Well, he's busy with what? He's reaching out through the, us. So he's drawing people to him so that they might t- too experience um, the wonderful, wonderful peace. Um, and so that people can say, hallelujah, I've, I've found peace. I've found love. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to bring people to be ambassadors for Christ and to see this reconciliation. And so God wants us to reflect his very nature. He wants us to do what he's doing, to reconcile others to him. Isn't that an incredible responsibility we be, we've been given? Number three about peacemaking. Number three, to be peacemakers involves emulating Jesus it's such an incredible task we've been given. We cannot possibly do this without the role model of Jesus. It, it just isn't, isn't possible. And while we don't have time to look at Jesus' life, but I just want to highlight a few extravagant things that Jesus did um, as he went to such trouble to reconcile people to God. Think of how he went down to the pool of Bethesda, which was only a few hundred meters from the temple. It was like in the shadow of the temple. And there he found this paralyzed outcast who'd been there for 38 years, wasn't able to move, wouldn't have been able to clean himself. It would have been a pretty smelly, lousy place he went to. And and this man was not able to go into the temple because he would have been an outcast um, because of his state. And Jesus goes there. He goes there. Why? Because God so loved the world, that's whoever believes. Jesus goes and finds the whoever He finds people who would normally be his enemies. Think of Nicodemus who served on the Sanhedrin, which was the body that uh, condemned Jesus to death. Think of the centurion whose son or his servant he healed who probably worked for the household of Herod. Herod was the guy who would murder uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. His father tried to kill Jesus himself. He goes and finds the centurion in that household and brings good news to him. He goes and finds his enemy. Why does he do that? God so loved the world. Whoever believes. It's an incredible, incredible thing that, God, that Jesus does. And he's, he's doing it today still. He hasn't stopped. He shows his outrageous love constantly. In my workplace, I had, um, I had a Muslim uh, girl who worked for me, a Muslim woman. She was, she was young. And um, <clears throat> we were praying for her, talking to her. Um, and she wouldn't budge. She wouldn't budge on her faith, or one day, Jesus appeared to her in a dream. She came into my office the next day, explained to me she had no idea what had happened. She explained to me how she'd been fooled by the Holy Spirit in the night and had a visitation by Jesus. How? This is what Jesus does today. It's just crazy. She's, our, our evangelism to her did nothing, but now she's serving the Lord and following him. Jesus does not want anyone to be lost. He is committed to this reconciliation. And so he's the one we emulate. So the question we have to consider, of course, is who is it that Jesus is asking us to take his message of peace to? Let's move on to the last part, the harvest. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Remember that verse. Okay, I'm giving someone else a chance. I know there's someone here who wanted to say it, but you were nervous to do it. Come on someone stand up and say the verse for me.
0: <laughs>
1: Yay I'm sure I had some Yes, I do. Here we go. Well done. Well done.) <laughs> right so let's let's talk about the harvest now this this verse anticipates a harvest um i don't know about you but i haven't been a very successful farmer i once tried with my kids to plant a garden little beetroot seeds planted them everywhere went to water them put nice soil they grew beautifully i went out there to harvest them every single beetroot looked beautiful i pulled them out And I think a mole had eaten them. There was nothing underneath, nothing, (laughs) nothing at all. Have you experienced that? I see some head shaking. I don't want God's harvest to be like that. I want a bounteous, overflowing harvest for God. And for God, he's expecting a harvest of righteousness. And I think this is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing we can do in our lives once we know the source of peace. Is to seek this harvest of righteousness. Now, this this harvest of righteousness is the righteousness in our own lives as we follow Jesus, as we, we hear his voice, it's the righteousness of people who've turned to him and join his kingdom, and it's the righteousness in their lives. This is a righteousness that keeps on overflowing. And I I just want to stress again, this is the thing that we're called to do. So when we think of peacemaking. We are thinking about the harvest that's going to come because we want this for Jesus. We want this for God. And I don't know about you, but this is the thing I, I pray about this every day. God has deeply, deeply put this in my heart. There's nothing more I want for God but to see his harvest, to see his harvest come about. But the key thing is to figure out how to do this harvest, how to go about raising the harvest. And this is what's remarkable about this verse. When you think about harvest of righteousness, if we had to plan this ourselves, how would we go about this? Righteousness. Okay. Right. If I get really good at righteousness, and that's what I must go, like, tell everyone how they must be righteous, that sounds like a good plan, and there might be some merit in it, but God comes up with this really different plan, which is primarily our job is to be peacemakers. Because we have to go to the world with a message of peace and, 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 and bring this, this gospel of hope. And, and, and that's the door that opens. And as we respond to peace, righteousness is the consequence. Now, I don't know if you've thought about it, but the other crazy thing about this verse is it absolutely is 180 degrees the wrong way around. I'll tell you why. Most humans will think, if I'm right, I will have peace just think about it that's how Muslims will think if only I was right there will be peace righteousness first peace comes second God's economy he turns us around he says I'm going to give you peace first and the consequence of this is you're going to have righteousness isn't that an incredible thought it suddenly makes righteousness accessible to him to us because he brings us into the domain of peace it's an amazing amazing truth and so if you're grappling with this thing and thinking, oh, goodness, let me work on my righteousness, maybe it is you've got to work on your peace a bit more and allow God to bring you peace because righteousness is the consequence of that. So let's, let's move on now. We're getting to an end. Um, over 20 years ago, God planted this verse in my heart, Hosea 10 verse 12, and it's a, it's a very, very deep verse for me. This is what it says. It says, um, sow for yourself righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fellow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. This is what we're asking God to do today for us here in Hermanus. That God will do this. Sow for yourself righteousness. The interesting thing about the verse here, if you look at the Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, it says, sow for yourselves with a view to righteousness. That's our aim. We're thinking about righteousness. It doesn't explain how. Sow for yourselves with a view to righteousness. How? By being peacemakers. That's how. James has explained. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap the harvest of righteousness. So we are sowing for ourselves with view to righteousness. Reaping steadfast love, which is uh, including uh, this whole ambit of, of righteousness. But then there's more. Break up your fellow ground. Fellow ground is ground you haven't yet used um, for God's kingdom. And, and this is, this is a, a challenge maybe I'm, I'm setting before, before you guys tonight. I want you, you to think about for a moment, where perhaps, is your fellow ground. Fellow it means it's empty, it's hard. Uh, you haven't considered using it yet for, uh, for uh, planting your melis or anything like that. It didn't look good guard, ground. There's stones there. There's rocks there. It's hard work. You've got to go and clear the ground. You've got to go and bring in your tractor and scrape everything out and pull out weeds. You've got to do some hard work in preparing the ground. And if we do that, and if we seek the Lord earnestly, and we, s- <coughs> we ask God that he will send rain down onto that ground, and, and that it might bear fruit. And so I, I I just wonder tonight, perhaps if that isn't something for you to think about. As a congregation together, and maybe as individually, where where has God given me ground that's is fallow, it's not bearing any fruit. And how is he calling you to reap that ground? And so as we as we close, my my prayer um, is summarized in two Corinthians nine verse ten. And this is something we should all be thinking about. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of righteousness. Can we say amen to that? We want the harvest of God's righteousness to be enlarged. We want more seed. We want more ground. We want to see um, an enlarged harvest of righteousness for the Lord. And so this is this is where we it's time for us to wrap up. Um, I must just tell you before we conclude, as I was praying this morning uh, for you guys um, and asking God what it is that he might want to share with you, um, this last verse came to my mind, Ephesians 6, verse 15. And God, God showed me something perhaps I'd never seen before. This is, of course, is a verse about the armor of God. It says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is the only time in the Bible we hear of the gospel of peace. God's good news is a gospel of peace because it explains the good news of how we can have peace. And the fundamental message is one of peace. Now, as peacemakers, well, what's our response? Well, we're going to look down at our feet and say, are we ready? Do they look like walking shoes? Have a good look at your feet. Do they look like walking shoes? My shoes are brand new. A week ago... I had I had a wonderful pair of fellies I've owned for like 15 years I love them, <laughs> leather fellies, they completely fell apart. My my toes were sticking out the front. I looked at these things. i like, Michelle. I'm sorry they have to go. I, I nearly had a, like a funeral for them. I really love them, but they were useless for walking in. Useless. Um, I could sit at home with them maybe, but not not. Now these are proper walking shoes. So look at your feet. Are they ready? This is what God wants us to be: is to ready, to be ready with the gospel of peace. And so, it's time. It's time for us to to wrap up. No idea how long that was. Yeah, it's time. It's time for us to wrap up. Um, and um, yeah, I I just why didn't we just stand together and just let's just see what what God is saying here. <coughs> I've, I've shared a message which um, I think is, is for you, and there's, there's really two parts of the message. One is around peace, and, um, and the other part is us being peacemakers now. We can't be peacemakers if we don't have peace. And so I wonder whether you can just take a quiet moment and just ask yourself, be honest with yourself, ask yourself, have you got peace? Are are you kidding yourself? Are you pretending? Are you trying to drown out peace with comfort? Are you um, perhaps just ignoring the discomfort that's in your life? Where are you with peace with God? It It might be that your heart is a little calloused and you've forgotten about what peace with God looks like. Just ask God's Holy Spirit now just to show you where it is and what's the state of your heart just take a moment quietly to ask God that that question so i've i have there could be different reasons why you haven't got peace one reason is you've never made peace with God. Now, if that's you, you're in an amazing opportunity tonight to make peace with God. God is offering you tonight the most generous terms of a peace agreement you could ever consider. Right now, if you haven't made peace with God, you're an enemy of God, and he says, I will bring you into my household and you can have peace. And so I, if that's you tonight, I would love to give you an opportunity to accept God's peace. And so as our, as our hearts or as our eyes are closed, um, there's no other way but to respond to this opportunity. So is there anyone here tonight, if I can just ask you to raise your hand, who wants to accept this generous offer of God for peace? There's no other way of knowing this peace. Is there anyone here? Wonderful, wonderful. Let's pray, let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the great peacemaker. There is no one who compares to you. You are our peace. You have brought us peace. We praise you. We thank you, God, that you have made an everlasting covenant of peace that cannot be taken away. We thank you that we are your children, Lord. And as we stand in front of you, Lord, we just affirm and accept your commission to us to be peacemakers. We say thank you that you've appointed us to this role. We ask your forgiveness where we have not been peacemakers. And perhaps we've contributed to the enemy instead. And we say from this day, Lord, forward, we will serve you to be peacemakers. We pray, dear Jesus, that you will equip our feet to be ready to bring the gospel of peace. Appoint us now, Lord Jesus, to be your ambassadors of peace. We say amen and we want more, Lord. We are seeking your name and seeking your face because we want to see your harvest enlarged. May it come through us, your peacemaking children,
0: Lord, we pray. Amen 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 thank you jesus yeah just as trevor was sharing i um, felt the lord remind well, actually in worship i felt the lord remind me of the scripture and um it's in jude um i think andrew actually po- posted it this week and i uh, just want to read it to us it says in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now that's exactly who Trevor was speaking about—the enemies of God. It's talking. It's this is referring to the enemies of God. But it says then this: it says, "But you, but you, every one of you guys standing here that are in Christ, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. But you." who are now at peace with God, building yourself up in the most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. He's given us a tool. He's given us something to be able to take away from this even now as the Lord did something maybe in hearts here supernaturally but as we leave this place as we experience moments of anxiety moments of lack of peace he's given us a tool to be able to find his peace again building yourself up in the Holy Spirit praying in the spirit and i want to encourage you i felt like this morning i was praying for somebody and i felt like this is not only for him actually while i was while i was um, sharing with him god wants to remind us to pray in the spirit he wants to remind us to pray in the spirit you know out of the gifts that he gives freely for the building up of the church it's the only gift that he gives for you personally for the building up of your spirit for the edification of your spirit he says all of these gifts I have, but for this, is for you, for the building. And there's something of finding peace in the moments that we're in when we pray in the Spirit. My mind is not fruitful, but my spirit is fruitful. So I want to encourage you to pray in the Spirit. If you can pray in tongues, pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. It's powerful. It's powerful. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray in tongues. you guys. We're going to have to stick around, have some coffee. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing you in the week. All right. Amen.